Good morning, everybody. I believe we are in a journey as a church, and for the first part of this year, we are going to be still looking at the Old Testament. And some of you may rightly so say that how come that with so much that we took on from Ezra, we have not had the time to digest, and how come we're moving so quickly with Exodus? And actually, I don't want to undermine what God has been showing us through the book of Ezra, but what I want to say is that if the theme of the book of Ezra was that God still is interested to renew his people, what we can learn and what we're going to look into Exodus is that how God is going to enable and how God is going to rescue and deliver his people in order for them to be free to worship him. So basically, by us doing Exodus, we are at the same time carrying on with the renewal, God wanting us to renew from Ezra and moving on from another story, uh, well, many other stories from the book of Exodus. Because I, I really believe that God really wants to renew us. God wants to renew us as individuals, but also God wants to renew each and every one of us, yes, as individuals, but God wants to renew us as a church. And um, just to give you the kind of the timeline, so we get a picture of what, what's going on in Exodus. And um, basically, um, Pete uh, spoke and shared last week about Moses and about the way that um, he, he was kept and the way God brought him. And today I want to, to, to focus a little bit more on chapter 3, and chapter 4 of Exodus. But this is the, the kind of the timeline, time frame of what's going on. And um, my Logos Bible software says the last point there is the Merneftah Stele that mentions Israel, which is a very good historical resource that is outside of the biblical uh, scriptures that kind of proves that there is um, these things that are going on in Israel. But this is the outline of the book of Exodus, and uh, you'll be pleased to hear that we're going to do only point one in the next five weeks. Um, So basically, we're going to be focusing in the first 12 chapters. The book of Exodus is big. What goes on with that particular group of people is tremendous, and how God delivers them, and how God tunes them, and how God revives them as a nation is extraordinary. But we're going to be dealing only with the first 12 chapters where it's basically bringing these people out of bondage, set free, so that they can go and serve and worship God freely. Now, just a little bit of the background story. Here we've got a group of people who had come to Egypt originally because of the famine. Joseph and the family had, uh, well, Joseph had invited his family. They've stayed on there, um, and they've uh, basically, they've stayed on so long that they had become a threat to the Egyptians because of the numbers, because of whatever was going on. And therefore, um, the pharaohs of those days decided that one of the ways to 
stop this people flourish is by basically clamping them down, by enslaving them, by bringing bondage unto this, this group of people. And there we've got Moses, who God has kind of saved through his childhood, who ironically is being raised in the Pharaoh's courts as one of the sons of Pharaoh's daughters. Ironically, he is one of the guys that actually has to learn the culture. And then we know that Moses gets in trouble. He kills an Egyptian, and therefore, because he has done that, and the Pharaoh gets angry because he wants to kill him, then Moses has to go to escape to a place of refuge. And in that place of refuge, he finds his wife, he settles there, and actually does a normal, mundane job, a shepherd. So this is where we've got Exodus chapter 3 coming into the picture. Because actually, we've got Moses, who is just doing a normal thing, And out of the blue, out of the burning bush, which in one sense it's quite dramatic, but on the other hand, it's quite normal for shepherds to be surrounded by bonfires, really, to keep warm. So in this mundane thing, God appears to him. And he says, Moses... Moses, I cannot do better than the video that we watched earlier on. But Moses, I don't think this is going to hold my Bible. And Moses said, here I am. Do not come any closer, God said. Take off your sandals, for the place where you're standing is holy ground. Then he said, I am the God of your father, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, the God of Jacob. At this, Moses hid his face because he was afraid to look at God. Amazing. Goosebumps I get from it. Scary. But here we've got God who actually, in one sense, sense tells Moses to take off his sandals because he's in holy ground. This holy, almighty God. Yet, he's not impersonal. He wants to connect with Moses. He wants to connect with his people. So, basically... The first thing that I want to talk about is identity. Do you see how God appears to Moses? Do you see what God brings into the picture for Moses to realize that actually it is God that is appearing to him? God of your father, Abraham. 
Well, what would come to mind of Moses when he talks about God, the father of Abraham? Of course, the promises that God had made with Abraham. And therefore, he's got this big deja vu of who God is and what he has done with Abraham and what he's going to do. All the promises that he has had with his people through all the book of Genesis and how he has kept his people are coming to life to this shepherd who actually, of all people, should have not been approached by God because he's been a criminal. He's killed an Egyptian. But Moses has been in this desert, in this mountain, in this place of shepherding for 40 years. We don't know what has been going on in Moses' life. But all we know is that God wants to restore Moses. And by restoring Moses, God eventually is going to restore his people. But it has to start with the ABCs of the identity, where it starts with God. Because, actually, this group of people are going to be freed from a place of bondage to something else. To the freedom of being able to worship God. And Moses needs to be in this place of being freed from being guilty and thinking about being a criminal to this place of moving forward, this group of people of God. Identity. Why is it so important? Who and what it is that shapes our identity as individuals? But what and who is the one that shapes our identity as a group of believers as well? It's a big question. It's a big question because I think when you look into the New Testament, well, let's start with the Old. When Moses is being called by God to set free the people, in Exodus chapter 3.10, he says, they are my people. They're my people. And I want to set them free. If you come to the New Testament, the first thing that you read in the Gospel of John, verse 12, chapter 1, it says, For those who have believed in him, he gave them the right to become children of God. So I bring it again. What is it and who it is that shapes your identity as a Christian? And who and what is it that shapes my identity as a Christian? And who and what it is that shapes our identity of who we are as God's church? Is it political agendas? Is it programs? Is it comparison to what other churches do? Or is it 
the fundamental, fundamental unshakable truth that as God's people, God has given us a mandate. And no matter what the cost, we're going to take this good news of Jesus so we can make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. I'm sure some of you have read chapters 3 and chapter 4 of Exodus. And I, it's, it's very helpful because I don't think we're going to have much time to read the whole big chunks of Scripture. But I'd like for you to, well, I'd like to suggest that we, we read some before, yeah, during the week and we think about that. The other thing that is very clear from this passage, and um, I, I've, I've called it suppositions, and it comes very clearly from Moses. On my notes, I have said suppositions or sandals. I'll tell you why. Because God has just told Moses to take off his sandals. And Moses has done the physical action of taking off his sandals. But in the way that Moses deals with God, I don't think he has taken off yet his sandals of his heart. Because Moses has just had this fresh new revelation of who God is out of a burning bush. And he knows now the history that God is who he is. And then Moses starts to negotiate with God. And he says, well, let us suppose. And then you see in chapter 4, verse 1, what if? And then you see towards the middle of chapter 4 that somebody else comes into the picture. It's Aaron. Suppositions. Some other scholars have put it excuses. I'd like to call it sandals. It doesn't matter. What is interesting is that here we've got a guy who God has called for a particular purpose. And the main story of the line is because he wants to deliver his people so they could be free to worship him. And God says, Moses. And he says, yes, God. But wait. What if? Coming back to the idea of identity, I want to challenge myself this morning, and I want to bring a question to you, saying, well, in our discussions, when we have the, the, well, in our conversations, when we talk about how God has called each and every one of us in our lives, there are a lot of things that come as part of our conversation, because each and every one of us is unique. But I want to throw something there to say that perhaps 
as we pursue God, we've got excuses. And I want to ask the question today, to myself and to you, what is it that causes our suppositions? Where do our suppositions come from? Is it because by nature we are fearful people? Is it because by nature we are very pragmatic and we want to see things become reality? Is it because we're control, control freaks and we want to know each and everything in detail? What God is calling Moses here is very clearly that is a journey of faith. And actually, it's not just a journey of faith. It's just a scary journey of faith. We know the rest of the story. Moses doesn't. But rightly so, he's got suppositions, he's got excuses, he's got negotiations to do because he's not sure. Despite of the fact that God the Almighty has appeared to him and he hasn't done this for 400 years now and he has appeared to Moses to say, you've got a big task, man. You're going to take those people out of Egypt. But it doesn't have to do only about identity. I don't think it has to do also uh, only about suppositions. I think the third thing that I want to cover today, and it's my last one, is the area of authority. I think this is very, very beautiful scene. And the scary thing is that I can see myself doing this. Exodus chapter 3, verse, well, let's start with verse 11 because I love it. Now we'll start with verse 10. So, now, go. I am sending you to Pharaoh to bring my people, the Israelites, out of Egypt. But Moses said to God, Who am I that I should go? Identity? That I should go to Pharaoh and bring the Israelites out of Egypt. And God says, I will be with you. Very strange answer. Moses says, who am I? And God says, I will be with you. And this will be the sign When you have brought the people out of Egypt, you will worship God on this mountain. 
And Moses carries on the conversation. What shall I tell them? Who are you then? And Moses said, well, it's the supposition that goes on. The God of your fathers has sent me to you. And they've asked me, what is his name? Then what shall I tell them? God says to Moses, I am who I am. This is what you are to say to the Israelites. I am has sent me to you. God also said to Moses, Say to the Israelites, The Lord, the God of your fathers, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob has sent me to you. This is my name forever, the name by which I am to remember it from generation to generation. It's that Lord with capital letters, which in Hebrew is just a bunch of consonants to which the Jewish people were so scared even to mention the name. They had to come up with something. Every time that the, the scribes wrote the name, they had to break the pencil or the, 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 the utensil that they were writing the name of. Because this was the almighty name of God that they had to be remembering him from. Authority. Who are you? I am who I am. I am the Lord. And actually, funny enough, this story remains as a hint, as a hinge, yeah, for the whole history of this group of people, the Israelites. Because in this revelation, Moses gets the authority, gets the guts to say, Okay, God, I'll do it. But I'm so, so, I don't know how to say things. Because Moses is still forgetting that actually it's not about Moses. It's about God who's going to use a normal man to deliver his people out of bondage. So where does our authority come from as a church of God? How do we make, how do we bring the Old Testament ancient stories into vivid new, post-New post new Testament stories? Where does our authority come from as a church? Well, Jesus said, all the authority is given to me. The end of Matthew 28. So the question that I've got we know who and what is supposed to be our authority as a church. The question 
for me as a church leader, the question that I've got for the congregation is, how do we make sure that God's authority is and remains our bedrock for whatever we do? These questions are not to get at you. These questions are for us to use them so we can think and we can pray and we can really seek God's face above. Because I'm, I know that for some of us, the issues of identity are big things. I know in conversations that sometimes we've got excuses about things whether they're individual steps of faith that we need to take or whether they're big steps of faith as family of God to take. And how do we make sure that we do not move out of the bedrock who is Jesus? That's why we say we're so passionate for this church to be rooted in the Lord Jesus. I think it was Mark that showed the picture of the tree last week or the week before with the roots that were as wide as the branches. And that's the kind of picture that I dream of this church. That we are rooted in Christ. And out of that bedrock, out of that authority that we've got from Christ, then we're able, we are able to go out there without suppositions and renewed in our identity because actually it is worth it. Because actually our identity, our fullness in Christ is not what we achieve as people, but it's what Christ has done for us.